Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go, and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 7, Episode 10, Death Store. Let's get this show on the road. a final reminder today that we are offering a 15% discount on all of our Etsy items. You don't need a code. Everything is just 15% off automatically. It's going to be marked down. That's obviously on our Impala pin, on our Kansas slide tote, and on our faith print. So we know that the holidays are coming up. Like don't don't get stuff too close to the, the shipping deadline. Make sure that you get it. And that's that's really why we had this incentive little sale to make sure that people would get their stuff on time for the holidays. So the sale ends in just a few days on November 30th. Make sure to grab your stuff before then. This week, we'd like to thank and shout out LeJazzWaz13 and 1 in 5 billion for their lovely reviews they left on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it so much. It's like, it's just, it's the highlight. So again, thank you, and never stop. That was another one, another interesting one. that We, we did watch this one as the part two of the double feature that we watched with, with patrons. So you had people and community around you to kind of like support you through this. But do you want to tell us a little bit about that experience? I feel like it's worth just thanking everyone who was there. Because it did make the experience of watching this episode much easier, having community, having people. As much as it was my sadness, it led to some funny laughter moments for everybody else, which I think is fun. And I don't think it's laughing at me, it's laughing with me and allowing me to come out of that sadness and find the joy in community, which was always really good. But like I said, I really, this episode hit me with a very big, like, I really believe Bobby made it further into the show like if you asked me which of the characters we've met so far we're going to make it to the very end he would have been in that list even the end of the episode when they give us the fake out of he like wakes up and writes down the number and they're like bobby made it and then he passes away in their arms that was my moment of like oh fuck he made it i was right okay good he stays so like i i had that false hope for a second like I think this is the most realistically I have watched this show knowing that I'm not watching it live as it airs. It's the first time it's really, really surprised me in a way that is like, not just like a, oh, that was a twist, fun episode. Let's carry on. This is like a series wide, like twist I wasn't expecting. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I just, I remember watching that episode the first time that I watched it, which was not when it was airing, but I was just like, are they really doing this? Like, is this really happening? Now, keep in mind, I didn't actually really know that cast was coming back at the time because uh, I hadn't, like, I had paid really no attention to the fandom or to any discourse. And, like, I was kind of binging it too fast to be able to really, like, look into it. And so I was like, so we've lost cast, We've lost Bobby. There's only Sam and Dean left. Why am I watching this show? <laughs> <laughs> it just hit me like now as i'm kind of like rolodexing through like characters who were like 
I know to be mainstays of the show, not they're going to become like Bobby replacements, but like Jody, I'm fairly certain from my understanding, does show up again in the show. And like, I can't picture her in the show without Bobby. Like that, like it breaks my mind that like she can come back and just be like, I'm here to help the boys. Bobby, like at this point, I'm assuming passed on it up that it's not like hot topic of the conversation but like <laughs> it boggles me a bit like what's crowley gonna say i don't know i think crowley's <laughs> gonna be sad i think yeah i could picture the crowley moment like i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna call this shot now for us a little mini prediction he's gonna show up he's going to be his usual asshole self and then he's going to make a smart ass remark about bobby and the boys are gonna get really solemn and then he's going to be like, what? Put two and two together and then drop all the sarcasm and be like, I'm genuinely sorry. And like get really wholesome for a minute. And like, I know it's all headcanon right now, but like, oh. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see how that happens. And for now, how about uh, you get us started with a recap? Oh, go ahead and count me down. Three, two, one, door. Oh, God. <laughs> You're getting so annoying with these. I hate them. They're so good. Okay. Um. <laughs> Bobby's rushed to the hospital. Sam and Dean can't do anything. This entire episode is them just reeling with this emotional baggage and what to do and how to deal with it. Uh, so we're going to drop that completely for now. And let's move right into Bobby. We are going through Bobby's memories. He is working through his own mind. He starts to realize that he's in his own head and that things aren't right. And he starts jumping through memories. And it turns out a reaper is chasing him. So he, being the amazing hunter and smart man that he is, uses this to his advantage to find Rufus in a memory who also had a near-death experience to basically learn from his own memories, teaching himself how to get through memories, and then also somehow manages to trap a Reaper in his memories with his knowledge of himself from himself. And it's really cool. But then ultimately we have Bobby confronting his darkest memories and we learn a lot of little things about him. But the big one is that he killed his own father to protect his mother and Bobby gets to confront himself and his father in his memories of this. And it's a beautiful moment. And then he comes to and everything looks like he's going to be fine. And then he actually passes away. Time. Drew, what do you think the theme of the episode is going to be? I know what it is. But also, given the episode, it was pretty self-explanatory from the moment we got there. But if it wasn't going to be death itself, it was going to be memories. Yes. <laughs> Well, this episode was written by Sarah Gamble, directed by Robert Singer, and it originally aired on December 2nd, 2011. Now, keep in mind, this was the mid-season finale. Oh my god, so whatever is coming next, everyone had to wait a while to see. There was a good pause, which, you know what? I haven't watched the next episode yet for for reasons, but like, I've needed this time to process still. It's a lot. So like, there's about a month between this episode and the next one. Okay, so let's rip the band-aid off. Like you said, Bobby dies in this episode. The episode opens with Dean frantically, like, driving the van to get Bobby to a hospital. And Sam is also, like, on his own side, like, frantically trying to give first aid care. And, like, you can tell that in that moment that, like, Bobby has lost his plot armor. Like, this feels real in a way that, like, injuries haven't really felt real on Supernatural before. If this wasn't serious, we would just see them leaving the hospital saying, like, they'll take care of Bobby, and then he'll be good the next episode. Or, like, we'll just show up at the house and someone's leg will be in a cast. Like, 
the going to the hospital and sitting there and watching everything was like very intentional. Yeah, this has like Joe feeling to it, really. So I see this episode as kind of a callback, I guess, to 516 Dark Side of the Moon, where Sam and Dean get shot and they die and they end up going through their memories in heaven. And this one is a little bit different because Bobby is going through his memories like as he's dying and not really in heaven. So there's a bit of a a, a difference, but still like the concept is very similar. I definitely, there was that episode and also season four, episode 10, where they go into the dreams, where they're kind of dealing with memory versus dream reality. Both episodes came to mind as I was sort of thinking through this one. I felt like Dean saying, you know, I do my job is like especially painful given that like the last episode he was talking about how much he didn't really want to do his job anymore. Um, So that's a bit of a a thread there that we're going to need to keep an eye on. We go back to the can of scorpions, quote unquote, that is Bobby's relationship to his dad. We find out that he was an abusive drunk who basically beat his wife and his child. And watching it this time around, it really made me think about like Bobby's approach to like a young Sam and Dean and seeing like the patterns of abuse and neglect from John. Like we know that their relationship soured at some point and the boys never saw Bobby after that. So it makes me think that maybe Bobby could have confronted John about it and John took it, well, about as well as you think he would have, you know? Let's leave the John talk for later. At the end, we see that Sam is able to say goodbye to Bobby. Like he's saying like, thanks for everything. And Dean just can't. And this is like such an emotionally charged moment. All he can do is to stay silent. And uh, this is not the last time that something like this is going to happen. This makes sense to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Bobby refuses to move on and leave with the Reaper, even though he's out of time. And uh, we'll be seeing the consequences of that. Oh, I hate that. I honestly had forgotten that was a thing. I knew he said no to the Reaper and went to go like spend his last moments with his memories of Sam and Dean. But, like, I guess in my mind, it was sort of like, let me have this last moment, and as, like, the lights turn out, I will go with you, but let me have this last moment. Not a full-on refusal. So, like, I guess I'm very intrigued to see how the show handles Ghost Bobby. Our theme this week is memory. It comes directly from Latin memoria, which means to remember. And honestly, this week was not easy in terms of finding a definition because a lot of the ones that I found were very circular, like the faculty by which the mind stores and remembers information. Like, okay, Oxford, like this is not super useful. Like, thanks, but no thanks. I found that this was not very useful for what we were trying to do, but I did find a definition that I think can help us kind of like structure our conversation. And it's uh, that memory is the mental capacity of retaining unconscious traces of conscious impressions or states and of recalling these to consciousness in relation to the past. A lot of words, but I understood it perfectly. Yeah, right? Like, the reason why I like this so much is because, like, the relationship of, like, sorry, let me see, (laughs) I got really excited. But it's really because of like the relationship between conscious and unconscious, right? And like the relationship between the past and the present. And I think that those 
two things in relation with one another, like, is, is really helpful to understand this episode. Because it shows us that, like, so many examples of memory that, like, accompanies us through life are, like, memories that we'd rather forget. Memories that are unlocked at weird moments or, like, important memories or mundane memories. And even though all of these are from the past, like, we bring them into the present moment just by remembering them. Now, for listeners who have a good memory, uh, they might remember that we have used this theme in the past already, specifically with 516 Dark Side of the Moon. So maybe we can find a way to like bridge that gap between past and present between those two episodes as well. It makes sense that we're going back to past themes because as the show grows and evolves, it's going to change its relationship and how these themes can be used as guidelines to discuss it. Because the characters grow, the world develops, the story develops. So it makes sense to have those moments where we can like go back and reflect on past episodes and our memories of those episodes. All right, so this week we're going to be grouping Sam and Dean. Uh, just because this episode is like so centered on Bobby and Sam and Dean's plotline is like really intertwined with one another, right? Um, so the very first thing that I see in their storyline that has to do with memory is that they're living a very important one right now. Like it's a painful one, right? And it's something that I think is going to become a turning point in their life. You know, like losing a parent or in this case, a father figure is something that leaves scars. And what they're going through today is something that they're going to remember like probably forever. I'll be very genuinely curious to see and compare how the two of them move on in the rest of this season from this because this episode we really only get their handling of the situation with the uncertainty of whether or not he'll pull through versus the finality of Bobby actually leaving them and even though we get like a moment of Sam saying goodbye and Dean just being so silent it begins to tell the story but I'll be curious to like carry this forward because right now there's a lot to discuss and how they react to it but like you said, this is going to be like a monumental memory for the two of them for a long time. Yeah, and they're still like in the process of forming that memory, right? Like, and they're having a very different reaction to it. This episode also got me thinking about like the memories where Sam and Dean are arguing about like Jet Lee versus Chuck Norris. Uh, or like when Dean and Bobby are throwing a ball around or when like Sam and Dean are arguing about licorice and popcorn. <laughs> like, I just love how inconsequential these memories are. Like they're not life-changing, right? But in a way they're very life-making. I find like they just make the relationship that they have to one another, right? And to Bobby. It, I don't know. It just made me think of like, how the big things matter in life, but the little things also do very much so. Oh, 100%. It's like the little memories like that that kind of stick out that can be so simple. And while this is like a Bobby memory, it lets us see Sam and Dean as brothers, but more importantly, in a happy memory of them, which is a happy memory for Bobby because he just cares about them so much. And just on a side note, I don't think I've ever seen a memory or a flashback of the two of them being happy if it wasn't just the two of them or with Bobby. Hint, hint, John. Oh, you mean like we don't actually see happy flashbacks of them with John? 
ever so far they're either it's either like i mean the the big one that comes to mind is uh in in five in 516 as he referenced is that first memory of them shooting the fireworks off where it's like them being happy and together john's nowhere to be found and i'm betting would be opposed to them doing something fun like this if anything i'm betting bobby gave them the fireworks I had never thought about this before, so thank you for bringing it up. I hate it. Thank you. Actually, maybe I love it. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> At this point, I am so neutral in it. Like, the idea of John being shitty is so expected behavior that I think if we ever got a flashback of the two of them smiling while John was even just in the car with them, I would explode. This episode also has me thinking about, like, how some memories are triggered for us. Like, in this episode, Sam and Dean are both thinking about the day that John died. Dean says so point blank, right? And Sam kind of hints at it. If they have for some reason not lowered John down in their minds enough, which we know there's always sort of this weird tangent where they hold him up in a little higher regard than they should. If Bobby isn't equal or above, I think that's insane to even consider. So of course there's going to be some like level of comparing the two, which we'll definitely get to because I think one of these deaths affected them a lot more than the other. We'll see, but I think the death itself is probably like just as as shocking for one as it is for the other. But I think that maybe the long-term repercussions are going to be different, especially how these two people are going to be remembered. Uh, if we're talking about Sam real quick, I felt like him saying, because it's real and like touching his hand scar kind of meant that he's thought about this and figured that this was not the Lucifer in his head, like torturing him, which means that this is a thought that entered his mind. And I just find that like Sam is dealing with so much here and, and he barely lets it show. Well, I think he's been doing that all season. He has been having to swallow his emotions and hold things back because kind of like we discussed last week with, Dean cutting off all emotions to prevent the ones that were too much for him. Sam, on a lesser extent, is kind of doing that here. He is so concentrated on keeping out the Lucifer visions that he has cut himself off in a lot of ways. So I don't think it's an intentional act for Sam to be not letting it show. It's almost a side effect of him dealing with what he's trying to already deal with because he's been level-headed and clearly like you've pointed out he's clenching the hand injury pretty often meaning he really is doing whatever it takes to ground himself in the present and we know he has been haunted by memories this entire season from hell and now you're adding the current worries that are bleeding together and i feel like it's a disservice that we only get to see it from like the third person point of view because if this were like a first-person narrative, I can only imagine what we'd be hearing him say. I think I see it a bit differently because I sort of see it, especially in this episode, Sam has to be the functional one. And we so rarely see that dynamic between the two, but Sam has to be the functional one because Dean cannot be. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. I, I don't think Sam has the emotional space within the relationship with Dean in that moment, not always, but in that moment, to be able to have his emotions be centered. I find that they're doing much more work 
dealing with Dean's emotions between the two of them than dealing with Sam's. No, I see what you mean. I feel like I was trying to kind of think of like, has this always been the dynamic? But I feel like the way they both handle emotions are so complicated and difficult to like wrap up. Like they are very complicated characters. Like we've been seeing Sam handle his emotions a bit better this season, but you're right. This really feels like a, he's not ready to let himself feel emotions because he suddenly feels a protectiveness for Dean. I don't even think it's that he's not ready to let himself feel is that he's like, there's no space for this right now. Sorry, better wording. Yes. I don't think that, I think that in a, in different circumstances, Sam would not be holding back, but I think in these circumstances, he sort of has to, because they can't both be falling apart. I think this is a Sam realizing on some level that he needs to like, I, what was the, uh, you, you've, for viewers who have seen it or yourself who have seen come from away. I am picturing the scene of the mayor after like the entire thing is over the planes have left and like he can finally sit down for a second and finally he's allowed to feel emotions because he's not controlling a whole town and cries. Like that's going to be Sam at the end of next episode whenever they deal with whatever the next deal with is. Yeah, there you go. I feel like right now he can't, right? So it's, and so he lets Dean kind of have the attention that he needs, I guess, or like the space that he needs. But that also means that like he can't process his own stuff. And for some reason, this is making me think of Sam Interrupted when Sam has like this at the end, like he needs reassurance and and Dean just can't give that to him at the moment, right? Like sometimes they have emotional needs that are just incompatible with one another. I think this is less of Dean trying to like get away from the conversation. Like, I feel the end of Sand Interrupted is very much a Dean being like, now's not the time. Whereas here, I think it's less of a conscious choice and more of just, he is feeling so much that he doesn't even have the capacity to realize what he's doing to Sam right now and not giving Sam space. I mean, to be fair, that's also how I felt for, for the, for Sam Interrupted with Dean. But I, I definitely in this one, I, I also see it because like, he processes the way that we've seen him do in the past, like by needing time and space, which obviously when there's like an acute situation like this, you, you don't have, right? There's no time, there's no space, things just happen. And so when he's confronted with a reality that he can't accept, uh, he's punching walls. If we're going to move to Dean for a little bit now, his outbursts don't surprise me in the least. We know how angry and upset he's been up until now. And we've seen him react strongly when he's stuck in a position when he just has no way of helping. You know, Dean knows that ultimately he he has this like deep seated feeling that all he's good for is saving the world and helping people. This has kind of been his driving force for a little while now. And suddenly not being able to do that and watching someone he cares about so much where he can't step in and help just like he did a few episodes ago, the beginning of the season with Cass. You know, his entire purpose for the last several years has been saving people, and he's lost one of his closest people, and now he has to sit there and watch it technically happen again. 
like he doesn't know but it's all he has exactly it's the whole like i do my job now you do yours you save him right like he's like it's it's a bitterness right and i totally get that you know you're like in in his shoes i think i would feel probably something similar where it's like i have done all of this this is the one thing i need help with please help him like i do my job you do yours you know how do we feel about dean punching a wall I don't love it, but I completely understand it. It's just a way of, like, he has pent-up emotions he doesn't know what to do with. And usually, when something pisses him off, it's something he's allowed to kill because it's a monster. And suddenly, he's sitting here, and he's like, there is nothing I can punch to make this better. But the punch has to come anyways because I'm feeling that level of anger and, like, rage. I, I'm going to say something controversial. <laughs> I feel with, with and there's you know obviously there's a reason but let's let's say the controversial thing and let's see how you react to it. If John had done this, we would be all over it. Like if John had reacted in that way and punched the wall and been aggressive. Huh. I'm torn because I think just my hatred for John would force me down that road. But I think doing this exercise almost backwards where I'm now putting John in Dean's shoes. Again, I see it as understandable. But I think the key difference here is that we have this understanding that John's violence has come out in other ways. Whereas Dean has ultimately been able to control his to his work. Like, I feel like that might be like almost excusing it, which I'm doing a little bit. But like, it's the same thing. Whereas if like, we also have this image of John being a bit more of an alcoholic than Dean was. Like, it seems like Dean kind of wanes in and out of how much he drinks. And isn't like coming home drunk every single day. But we've seen John like, you know, passed out drinking kind of a little more. So if it was a similar scenario of like drinking away your problems, I'd forgive Dean a bit more than I forgive John. who We've already seen abusing. him. That's really interesting to me. I'm excited to talk about the rest of the season with you. Oh, I'm so worried now. Uh, but all that to say that Dean and Sam definitely process things very, very differently. And so they, in that moment, anyway, they can't be there for each other. Like Sam needs to talk about the worst case scenario, like what happens when, when, if Bobby passes away and, and Dean needs to hope for the best case scenario. Like they, their communication is like fundamentally impossible in this moment when it is most needed, right? When they both need to have some emotional support that the other cannot provide. I think the most difficult thing when it comes to your emotional health and well-being is understanding how you process things. While I think Sam is closer to understanding himself, Dean, I still don't think is there yet. So... What they ultimately need is to both understand themselves enough to then understand each other, which is like another full ballpark away. Like we're like we're making a huge leap here. 
Like, they already need one thing that is, like, basically out of their reach. We're then asking them to go a second level of that. Like, it, it, like, it feels like one of those, like, because we're the outside looking in, we can see the problem and we can just be like, oh my god, talk. To ask Dean to figure out himself, let alone figure out Sam, I, mm, I don't think we're going to get there even if we had 38 seasons. It's not like, you know, this is happening all in the moment. And that's kind of what I want to get across for them anyway. Like, it's that the way that they're kind of processing these things as they're happening. Like, it doesn't leave a lot of room for, like, thinking about others, even if others in this case is like your brother that you spend almost every waking minute with. Those extremely emotionally charged moments are going to be messy no matter what. And, like, that's kind of to be expected I think that's kind of where where I'm landing like that I don't think that even the most well-adjusted people in the world would be handling this situation much differently than these two would be to be entirely honest no I think like in a world where these two have like really gotten their communication down the only difference is maybe Dean doesn't punch a wall and after enough time is able to like cool down enough to approach Sam and say, hey, what do you need? Let's get you, like, a coffee or somewhere to sit or, like, take a minute, let me talk to the doctor so you could stop for two minutes. Like, I don't think it'd be that drastically different of a scenario. It would still be super angry Dean and incredibly neurotic and paranoid and, like, trying to stay above water Sam. They might just be able to meet in the middle a little bit and help each other, but, like, not enough to change this drastically. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Especially with siblings and parents and whatnot. Like, this is a tall ask. Let's move on to Bobby. Uh, yes. Because when I look at Bobby's storyline, like, I'm so moved by, like, how much his memories of past events are, like, actively shaping his decisions in the present. Like, deciding that he didn't want to have children, for example, because he was afraid to turn into his father. Um... And it's interesting because, like, we as the audience never saw that in Bobby. Like, we never saw the potential for him to be abusive. We never saw him hit Sam or Dean. But Bobby sees that potential in himself. Like, whether rightly or wrongly, he sees it. And I feel like we would know, given that we've seen John acting with his sons versus, like, how Bobby has acted with them. So, like, we would be able to recognize those signs in Bobby. Um, We've spent like, you and I have spent entire seasons comparing and contrasting their attitudes, right? And every choice that Bobby has made with regards to Sam and Dean has come so far from a place of love and has like showed love to them. Um, And obviously he wasn't always perfect at it, right? Like there were a couple of times where we were like, meh, Bobby, I don't know about that. But the relationship was good enough and strong enough to be able to withstand it. And like, this is, this is what you want, right? From a parent-child relationship. Yeah, this is the healthiest parent-child relationship on the show because the other ones are all really bad for the most part. Um, yeah, Bobby's memories do so much to inform us of who he is and was and how he became the Bobby we know and love. You know, we see that fear that he had about having kids and he gets to see that he was wrong about that. 
So it's not just a matter of like, we see that as an audience and learn more about him. He gets to experience his memories and learn that maybe he was wrong about those things. It's it's literally like a self-reflection, life flashing before your eyes type thing. Uh, you know, the memory of his wife is still one that stings so sorely. And I feel like he has a moment of revelations in these memories about how good a parent he ended up being that it just it, that it, as much as it hurts still at least he can look back almost and say like you were right i was wrong even if he can never say it to her yeah especially like the story about her being possessed like three days after that argument you know he's like i would have said anything like uh it's really sad it's really really sad like it's it's like truly like such a tragedy so I have just like a couple of like rapid fire things, I guess, that I want to mention here. And like the first one being that like I loved the metaphor of like doors as passageways from one memory to the next. Like on a practical sense, of course, like it makes the filmmaking a lot easier, right? Because then like it makes it easier to move from one scene to the next. But like in a narrative sense, I think it's also really beautiful. And so much so that it's a concept that's actually going to be used in the Winchesters. The second thing is that like we also see for Bobby how his memories are triggered the same way as like for the boys, especially with like the broken glass. There's like broken glass from the glass of milk when he was a kid and also the broken glass from Karen's glass of wine. And like the thread between them is that Bobby, and I quote, breaks everything he touches, which again is objectively not true, but it's something that has become true to Bobby because he's like integrated it into the story that he tells himself about himself. Like, I want to go back and rewatch that and see if it comes up anywhere else. Because, like, that is just, it's killing me and I love it. And the third third thing that I want to mention is that he, it's that, that line that he tells Rufus. He's like, I need my partner on this, please. Which really broke my heart, honestly. And it showed, like, just how motivated and vulnerable Bobby is, like, as he's going through this. Uh, and I think it speaks to the way that like sometimes we just we need to be accompanied through certain experiences by people that we love and trust. Oh, I, I love all those points, like even the painful ones. Like I love the realization and like these memories do such a good job of fleshing him out. Like we understand him more and why he's so protective of people. Like look at how he ran his life as a resource for other hunters. He grew up being told he breaks everything. So what better way to help than to sideline himself? And just be supportive from a distance. You know, as for his memories with Rufus, we can see how much he respected and admired him. He saw him as someone he could lean on. The way we've seen, even in the present day, they've kind of leaned on each other and helped each other out. Even when they were not at their best, they were always there for each other. This wasn't new, this relationship. This is how they were and how they grew to be. And I just think ultimately using this time to let Bobby reflect on himself through his own memories and grow from them, but letting us get a, as I now know, a final appreciation for Bobby and seeing these moments ourselves and seeing that growth in him is such a spectacular way to do this episode. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, this is one of those episodes that I find like it's just so sad and so painful to watch, but also so fucking well done. <laughs> like... <gasps> Oh my god, honestly, it's like every little thing about it is just like so well done. So actually, speaking of which, there's another thing that comes up for me in this episode, and it's how much Bobby is like 
able to recontextualize his painful memories like with age and with experience like he starts off the episode by saying that like that night was just like any other Tuesday and then later we realized that it was actually the night that he killed his dad so like there's two things at play here first I think there's like a layer of denial um like Bobby lying to Rufus and to himself about that night in particular because he didn't want to think about it right but I think that it also speaks to like growing up and realizing that what you might have thought was okay was actually not okay at all. And this idea of like stepping into your truth and calling things out for what they were. The difference in how he plays off that night via what we eventually see is huge. But it does go to show how memories stay with us and how we choose to remember them. I don't think any part of Bobby considered it just another Tuesday night, but rather he forced himself to see it that way in order to not have it haunt him. Like the way he dismissed it in front of Rufus so easily and was able to walk away from it without even triggering something in Rufus that there's more to this moment. It, it says something about the individual when they're able to bury that so deeply and so readily. Yeah, I mean, it's the metaphor of like the box, right? I put all of my memories, all of my bad memories in a box and then I close the box and I don't open it. Like, And, and I think that especially with the metaphor of doors, you know, like he can just close the door on that memory, like quite literally and walk away and not go through that door. And I think that that, again, like everything kind of works really well and is weaved really well to be able to say that. There's also a moment near the end when like current Bobby is like actively in the memory and his parents are like talking to him as if he's a young Bobby. And first off, like to me, that represents how some memories can just make you feel like you're right back in the memory, right? Like as somebody with post-traumatic stress disorder, like this really speaks to me like on a visceral level. There's another way of thinking about it, which is like that you carry those memories with you as if they are still happening to you. At the same time, I also loved how Bobby was able to like stand up for his younger self by answering back to his father like I was a kid. Like this was just such a powerful moment. And then him parenting his younger self by telling him that he did what he had to do. Just a very, very lovely moment, frankly, uh, very necessary very validating for anybody who can relate to it. A hundred percent. And this is what I alluded to earlier. Why this made me think of, uh, I misquoted earlier, season three, episode 10, Dream a Little Dream of Me, when Dean faces off against the dream Dean. And while Dean is facing a nightmare version of himself, Bobby is facing his father, who is effectively the nightmare version of Bobby that he feared he might have become. You know, Bobby speaks up to his father and shuts him down finally after years, I'm sure, of hearing those words echo in his head. But then he also reaches out to his younger self to let him know it's going to be okay because he knows it to be true because he did turn out okay. And this is where, like, when I was talking about, like, the gap between Dark Side of the Moon and this episode is that Dark Side of the Moon kind of sees memories as static, right? Like they can't, not that they can't be changed, but you can't interact with them in the same way. Whereas the, in this episode, like memories are kind of in flux, which I think is a more accurate way of thinking about our memories because we're constantly like reshaping our memories 
or at least like using our memories to reshape who we are and in the process kind of like understand our memories differently like we recontextualize them as well so there's like an ebb and a flow there that I think is really really important to keep in mind that just wasn't present in 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 um in 516 I've never found myself in a cemetery before without the intention to dig something up, but today I'm here to lay to rest someone I loved. He taught me everything I know about hunting. He taught me everything, really. He was once a great hunter. He never really stopped hunting. More like he slowed down, taking smaller gigs while playing men in the chair to the bigger ones. By his last days, he felt like a guidance counselor. One you might go to for advice between classes. Source of great knowledge or just company when the hunts got too heavy. I'm sure I wasn't the only young idiot pulled up by the bootstraps to train into something more than a dolt with a bag of salt and a shotgun. Maybe he had others like me who learned more. The man taught me to shave, to drive, to pick up one night stands at bars, to get over heartbreak when those one night stands didn't become more. He was the only family I knew, really. He was the only person I ever knew whose passing brought me so much pain. Today, today I laid him to rest in the cemetery in town. Of course, I had nothing to bury, as he made it very clear how he wanted his remains dealt with to prevent any unintended sequels, as he put it. A simple headstone with his name, and what I have to assume was his date of birth. None of his IDs seemed to agree on that. And he wasn't exactly one to share too many personal details, after all. I figured if anyone came looking for him, I'd give them a place to say goodbye. But it seems that was entirely unnecessary. Now, every time I spend my evening digging up and torching some bones, I know I can take a minute to wander. Looking for that out-of-place headstone some other hunter he knew set up for him. It's been almost a year since we lost him, and... I've gotten to say hello to my old friend in every single cemetery I've visited since. And no, none of the birth dates match. So first off, if any listener has not seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I recommend that you watch it. It is described as a science fiction romantic drama. It is not a rom-com. It is a romantic drama. Keep that in mind as you go in. This is my loving way of telling you to mind the tags. It was released in 2004, starring Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Elijah Woods, Mark Ruffalo, Kirsten Dunst, and Tom Wilkinson. And in the movie, the characters, the main characters actually are running away from someone who is trying to like erase their memories of a painful relationship. And in order to hide, they go into really deeply embarrassing or painful memories, like particularly of like childhood and adolescence. And this is something that we see in this episode where like in order to escape the Reaper, Bobby makes his way to some of his most painful memories. Now in the movie, as the person who is like erasing the memories is catching up to them, 
the pages of the books around them become blank. Like Clementine works in a bookstore and as the movie goes on, you can see that like the books are all becoming blank, like the words are being removed both from the inside, but also from the outside of the books. Like it, it's almost like the details of the memory are slowly leaving the actual memory. And, and I find that to be very relatable. And, and I'm thinking of like how details of memories or even like whole memories fade over time, right? And we see the same thing happening in the episode when Bobby grabs the King James Bible and the writing is gone, right? And we start seeing that the stuff on his books is, is just like disappearing. Now in the movie, there's more and more detail that's leaving the memories. Like people's faces start to fade, like starting with the least important people, which also happens in the episode. And then it eventually like erases the the core the core people I guess and this to me was kind of like reminiscent of like I don't really remember who said this but I remember it was said like I remember this was said to me but I can't remember who said it to me anyway like this movie is like such a gem and if you're interested in film or filmmaking and you want to know about a movie that like literally gripped an entire generation of people I think you should definitely go watch it and this was definitely like very much inspired by like the visuals of this movie so I, I had to talk about it as somebody who like who had that movie as their favorite movie for a, a good decade at least <laughs> It's one I genuinely have to go back and rewatch. And I feel like we've mentioned it together on the show recently enough that it's like come up. And like, again, you mentioned the cast. and I'm like, oh, right. I forgot half these people were in it. Yeah, it's a star studded uh, cast. I think we had this exact conversation, actually. <laughs> Memories fading. But yeah, there, there's something to be said about the way that that film and by extension, this episode handle memory on a visual scale. For me, it is very much Bobby looking around the house and things just aren't there. Like, I think at one point a room fully just fades away. Uh, especially as he's going to the couch to watch whatever movie they decide to watch together and have their licorice and popcorn. And, like, the other room starts to just fade to black and it's just the living room left and there's nothing outside even. Like, it, it's such beautiful storytelling through such a simple visual. This week we have a message from Dana, and before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question objectively, what is the movie time snack for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk? Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hi, I'm Dana. Nice nice to meet you, I guess. Um, I want to thank you first so much for the podcast. It has been such an amazing journey so far and likely will continue to be. Um, so about what I want to talk about. I just watched the Two and a Half Men uh, podcast episode you made and it the whole conversation about why Sam used John and Dean used Bobby for Bobby John was just very interesting. And... On Sam's use of John, I have a couple of theories. Uh, some of them definitely have to deal with uh, things that have not yet been discovered about Sam this season. Um, so I'll try to be very brief about that. Uh, so firstly, it's Sam's 
headspace during this time. As in, he's very hunter-focused, and that's something that he will immediately associate with John because hunting. Uh, but the thing that really kind of gets to me is the way that each of the brothers sees Bobby John. So Dean very much sees him as a baby to be cared for and protected and nurtured and happy and so on and so forth. So of course he's going to go for the actual father figure that was like that uh, because he doesn't have the all the background that Sam has regarding Bobby John. And then, like you've also said, Sam's approach is more the baby is baked. What he's bait for is not relevant, but he sees him as bait first. And we've already seen John using Dean as bait in Dead Men's Blood. We've had like hints of him having used Sam and Dean in something wicked as bait for, for the Striga. Considering just the fact that he immediately jumped in when things got out of hand... And he was like prepared to take the thing. And then you add to that the parallels with Michael of that episode and Michael being used as bait. It's not a hard stretch to think that John was definitely using them as bait for the Striga. So what I'm trying to say is Sam here is associating John with the baby because Sam's approach to the baby, Sam sees the baby as much how John would see the baby in the situation, a means to an end. And then I think about the Bobby uh, situation. I think Sam sees Bobby as a parental figure, and I'm saying parental for a reason here, because I don't think he sees him necessarily as a father figure, because I think Sam's concept of father is very entrenched in John, and John represents a very specific image of fatherhood. And it's complicated, as Sam definitely has mixed feelings about it. And so I think part of the reason why Sam didn't go for Bobby is also this. The fact that this situation was not ultimately about parents, but rather about a father figure. And for father figure, Sam, in this case, would consider John just because of everything. So anyway... Uh, that's what I wanted to say about this, and I'm kind of curious what you guys think. Anyway, thank you for everything you've been doing. It's been fantastic. Um, bye. Dana, thank you for the voicemail. It's a pleasure to meet you, too. I love this. One, I love the entire thought process behind that, because it really is a much better in-depth version of what I think I was trying to get across back in that episode. But I think you have it so right that it's just the way they're both viewing parenthood in that moment and their mentality towards this changeling child. Oh my god. And just to add the extra layer of comparing this to the time that Sam was used as bait for the Striga is so... It, it, like, it fits so perfectly that it's almost creepy. But I also want to take a second because this is the first time reflecting on this episode, now knowing that Sam was soulless at that time. Yes, <laughs> there you go. And I think given that he was soulless Sam and working off so much more of just like raw facts, I don't think it I don't think it disproves anything you said, and I think I agree with you fully, but I think it just lends even more credence to that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Dana, thank you so much for this lovely voicemail. I was particularly taken by what you said about Sam not seeing Bobby as a father figure because his idea of fatherhood, I don't think that's the word you used, but I think you said specific, but I'm going to use the word narrow. Like it's a very narrow definition of what fatherhood really is. And I, I love that. I mean, I hate it. But I, but I think it's so accurate. And I think that to a certain degree, no, you know what? That, I don't think that's true because I think Dean has seen what John was like before. And so he does have that idea of like, it doesn't need to be this way. And he also remembers Bobby, like knowing that it doesn't need to be this way. And we also know that he has other examples of men in his life, or actually we will find out later that he has other examples of men in his life, like of male mentors. And so he knows that it doesn't have to be this way, but Sam doesn't really. And so this idea that like his, his conception, I guess, of fathers is so wrapped up in John that he has like no idea that fatherhood doesn't have to be this way is like absolutely fascinating to me. So thank you very much for bringing that up. Yeah, it's like Sam doesn't see Bobby as a parental figure. He just sees him as like a mentor and someone who he can connect with, but doesn't directly draw the parallel to this is what a father should be and should have been like. So in his mind, he doesn't make the same like equivalency there. Oh, oh, this was such a good one. Thank you so much, Dana, for this message. All right, Drew, what do we have as reflection and call to action? Taking this in a very different and abstract direction than I think I've ever taken the reflection and call to action, but this week I just want to reflect on Jim Beavers and the exceptional work he did on this show. He truly portrayed an amazing character that I grew to love so much, and I'm very happy to have had such a good actor portray such an amazing character that I truly hold. Like, this is one of those characters I will like quote for years to come that I will look back on in like, how can I be more like a Bobby? Because this truly like, this is turning into an actual call to action and reflection. Now I realized, but like what an amazing role model for these boys. And for myself as a man in today's society, I only hope I can be a Bobby to everyone else around me. Um, and I look forward to, a flashback or a ghost Bobby return at some point. Yeah, I think everybody is, if I'm not, if I'm honest. And Mary, your call to action and reflection this week? Well, before we go there, I do, ha- I do, I want to clarify something because you're telling me now that when we took the picture with Jim Beaver two summers ago at Montreal Comic Con, you didn't know that he, that Bobby was going to die like early on in this, well, mid series? Nope. I, I had that thought too while I was writing this about like, Aww. you know, taking a photo with him. Oh my goodness. And I was fully thinking he'd be there till the end. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. So on my end, I think like that this episode is kind of making me rethink of how I think of memories. It, it's funny because like going through this episode and like reflecting on it, I, I was looking back at like my autobiography course that I took last semester and like how I, I, I remember writing something about how to me, like, I I have a very fraught relationship with memory just because I never really know what's going to pop up sometimes, like what my brain has protected me from. 
<laughs> for all of those years. And it feels like having to dive into that and to think about it is kind of like a house of horrors of different doors, weirdly, that like, I, I like behind which I, I don't know, I don't know what's behind all of these doors, right? And so I'm trying to like repair that relationship slowly but surely. So instead of thinking of them as like these like rigid moments that are like completely stuck in time with like a specific meaning, I, I sort of feel called to look at them more as fluid, not necessarily with what happens in the memory, right? Like, but like more with how I look at them and my perspective on them to basically look at them as moments that I can recontextualize as like I grow older and I gain more experience or like, again, a different perspective. So like, yes, my memories make me who I am, but I'm also a being that's like in flux. And so it's normal that my memories would be too. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Elle, Jeremiah Thomas, and Simone. This week, we'd like to thank Dana for the message. You can go to carryingwayward.com for the links to our merch store and all of our socials. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron or a Coffee subscriber, and you can also leave us a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. Carry on our wayward friends! Uh, yeah, I have to say like movie theater popcorn is kind of like my, my thing. Like I, I actually, what I love, okay, if I'm being honest, when I go to the movies, if I want to really treat myself, I'll get myself popcorn and a Diet Coke because there's something that they put in that fountain, like movie theater fountain Diet Coke. I don't know what it is. I have no clue, but it is the most delicious Diet Coke you will ever get.